Good. I actually just recently had to go to the emergency room, though, and I had some stomach virus thing. I almost called an ambulance. It's weird, even considering calling an ambulance for yourself. You know? You call ambulances for other people, right? What are you supposed to say about yourself? Can you come get me? Yeah, I don't feel so good. Just come on and I'll be lying on the floor. Just looking at the phone going, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to do. It was at night, so I drove myself to the emergency room. That's a nice relaxing drive. No, after you. Merge, everybody, merge. I'm only imploding. So I, I pull up at the entrance to the emergency room. No valet parking. I mean, if that's not the biggest oversight in our solar system. If there's ever a time where you want to go, can you park this because I need to collapse immediately. Hey, everybody. Uh, that was Brian Regan. Anybody know of him? Great comedian. Thought it would be good for us to laugh. How many of you are just like... Like you'd have no energy because you shoveled so much snow this weekend. Yeah, I kind of fit into that category too. So I thought it'd be good for us to start off laughing a little this morning. But I do want to say to you, you know, I look out here and what I see are a group of leaders. And what I'm going to ask you to do in a moment is just to say, I am a leader because you guys had an excuse to stay home today. You had just enough reason, and there are a lot of people out there that are taking that, and they're saying, yeah, I have just enough reason, the snow and maybe the roads and who knows about this or that. But you guys came, okay? So that means you're leaders, all right? So let's say that together. I am a leader. Say that. I am a leader. Okay, look to the person beside you and say, you are a leader. All right, awesome, awesome. How many of you were here last week uh, for the, the message? I gave a message on uh, the gift of tongues, a spiritual language. You were here for it last week? Okay, great. If you weren't here, I would really strongly encourage you to uh, go online and listen to the podcast of that message. I think it um, had a lot of core stuff in it as to how we relate to God and who God is and who we are. And uh, just some real powerful stuff about developing a closer, more intimate relationship with God that I'd encourage you to uh, to check out. I got a letter this week from um, one uh, one of our members here, long time uh, part of the church, that said in the letter uh, he made reference to the the message on tongues, and then he said that he had been praying and asking God for more experience of the Holy Spirit lately and more of the gifts of the Spirit. And, and really longing for this. And during the message last week, he said he realized that he had received this gift years ago, but hadn't been using it. And, and that was a big part of my uh, kind of plea was if, if you have this gift of, of tongues or uh, maybe better called spiritual language, it's a Holy Spirit given ability to pray in a language you don't know so that the Holy Spirit can communicate through your spirit back to God things that you don't understand. And things that God wants to do in this world that we don't really comprehend. 
He said as he was listening to that message, he realized that he hadn't been using this gift. And so he said this. He said, from now on, I'm going to pray in tongues all the time privately, all the time when, 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 when I'm in prayer. And then in public, I'll just trust God you know, for the words to pray in English, like in small group and stuff like that. So I was encouraged, just encouraged to hear. Because, you know, they say there's a certain percentage. If one person takes time to write a letter, then that means there are a hundred other people who thought about it. And so that means there are a hundred other of you here that, um, that, that got that message. And I want to remind you to, to take that to heart, to use this gift. If you have a, the gift of spiritual language, use it. Use it weekly. Use it daily. Pray for the church. Pray for your family. Pray for yourself. Pray for me. And, and use this gift of spiritual language. But another really cool thing happened last week. And um, I, I want to try to describe it to you as best I can. Uh, there was a, a person here who had received prayer from others to receive this gift of spiritual language and, and maybe had kind of engaged with it a little, but really doubted and, and was uh, really doubting whether it was from God. But there were definite words that came into this person's mind that, that, um, that came when the other people prayed for them to receive the gift of uh, spiritual language. And last week, I don't know at what point in the service, but at some point, maybe during worship, it sounds like it would happen then. Uh, this person had that phrase come back into their mind again, but this time with spelling in English. And kind of like a transliteration, like a literal spelling of what the sounds would sound like in English. And so uh, they wrote it down and plugged it into a translator in Google. I'm not sure exactly how that transpires. I'm not that um, well-versed in the whole thing, but I do know there are translators uh, online. And it came back as a specific language, and what it said in that language was, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And th- th- that was the message of it. And, uh, and, and this person had had that come into their mind, but they were fearful that it wasn't God. It was just them making it up. And so that's, that's, I mean, that's pretty cool, isn't it? You know, God speaking to someone like that. And that, that's a big part of that gift. But today, what we want to do is talk about the Holy Spirit and um, experiencing the Holy Spirit. And what does it mean to experience the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? And, uh, and how does it benefit our lives? Why are we afraid to experience the Holy Spirit? I mean, you know, a lot of people think of the Holy Spirit and experiencing His presence and it causes anxiety. And I think that's probably because uh, we've all watched some TV show where things look really wacky. And, um, uh, well, we've seen shows, sitcoms and stuff that made fun of people that were experiencing God. But we may have also watched Christian TV and seen a service where things just looked like, like they were chaotic. And we look at that and we tell ourselves, I don't want to lose control of myself. I don't want to look foolish, and I don't want to pretend something that isn't real. So there can be um, apprehension about experiencing the Holy Spirit. Um, I think just the phrase Holy Ghost, even. If, if you've been around for very long, you know that the uh, King James Version, which isn't, isn't uh, widely used today, but at one time it was, they referred to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. Now, I, I remember... Um, 
when I was just four or five years old, my aunt was married. And I was sitting in the front row of the church with my dad. And the pastor said in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And I leaned over to my dad and I said, you told me there wasn't any such thing as a ghost. You know, <laughs> because... Like I, I was, I was alert when I went to bed at night between witches and ghosts. I, you know, I had a hard time getting to sleep as a kid and he, he leaned over to me and he said, well, this is a different kind of ghost. That was his answer. So that was good enough. But, um, still the idea of ghosts is kind of, kind of creepy and, and weird. And, 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 and we don't look at the Holy Spirit through the right mental lens either. We, we don't view the Holy Spirit as a person. And we have to recognize the Holy Spirit is a person. He is not an it. He's not like a foggy force. He's not like Casper the ghost who floats through. He is a person. We have the person of the Trinity. The Father is a person. The Son is a person. Holy Spirit is a person. We have to recognize that. Maybe it helps if, you re- if, if we think of this. Uh, God the Father, all right? We, we give him the name Father. Scripture gives him the name Father. I know what a father is. I know what fathers look like. So I have some frame of reference to picture him in other than just mystical, ethereal terms. But when I say Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, I'm not thinking. I don't, I don't have any human equivalent. And so I think of something more mystical and... Uh, and uh, and effusive and, and difficult to define. But recognize this. God the Father is a spirit. He doesn't have a body. He's a spirit. Jesus is the one who became human. He's the one who took on a human body so that we could identify and recognize and see and, and, uh, and, and know what he, what he looks like. But God the Father is a spirit. The Holy Spirit is a spirit. And they are both persons. And we need to begin to recognize the Holy Spirit is a person. And when you think of the Trinity, God the Father is the one that established the plan of redemption. He established the plan of salvation. God the Son is the one who came into the earth and did it. He actually came and carried out the plan of salvation. And then the Holy Spirit, Jesus, God's Son, came and died, went back to heaven... And Holy Spirit is here now, and he's the one who actually applies redemption to our lives. And so he's the one who actually comes and says, okay, everything Jesus did, here it is right now in your life. You get it. And all we have to do is open our hearts up to Jesus. And Holy Spirit comes and he, he, he does this thing inside of us to change us. Now, Jesus really valued the Holy Spirit. And um, valued experience with the Spirit. And I'm going to read a verse uh, for you that relates to that in just a moment. But I want to invite Caleb Sullivan to come up. Caleb shared something with me about an experience he had with the Holy Spirit recently. And I, I want to highlight something for you right now. Because uh, just here, here's going to be the message. Experiencing the Holy Spirit is different from being emotional. It's different from just feeling emotional like, wow, great song. Or, you know, like at the beginning of the football game when they play the Star Spangled Banner and you, you feel emotional. It's different than that. Caleb, tell us about your experience, would you? Yeah, this was a couple mon- moments or uh, months ago. You all remember when uh, Putty Putman came? 
uh, he had kind of like an altar call at the end of the service. And I just felt like I really needed to respond. And, uh, when I did, I felt something that I'd never experienced before. And, you know, I've been in worship settings where I've been, you know, on the floor weeping because reading the words on the screen, I felt they were really relevant, but, uh, you know, to my life and I was, you know, dealing with stuff and it, it, you know, it touched me, but this time was something different. It was Holy spirit came on me in a way that I had never experienced before. It was Holy spirit coming on me versus, uh, an experience where something inside of me comes out because of reading words on a screen. Does that, if that makes sense, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So, um, it, it was like Holy Spirit came on you. It's like something from the outside rather than something generated by your intellect or by your thinking or emotions. Yeah, exactly. I just felt in an intense uh, heat and everything else uh, just shut out. Uh, Putty was still talking, but I didn't hear a word he said. I was just really uh, captured in, in his presence. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. So was it like something that you're saying, man, I'm glad I have that behind me or what? Uh... No, absolutely not. Yeah. Definitely want more. Want more. You want more. You want yes. more. Okay. Let me pray for you. Okay. All right. <laughs> so Holy Spirit come and just give Caleb more, give him more. Let him sense your, your presence. Holy Spirit come. Release more and more of your presence. Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I remember the uh, the first time I experienced the Holy Spirit's presence. Had no idea what to expect. I was thinking it would be more like something that would generate from the inside and be like emotion. But it felt like a warm blanket fell out of heaven and just enveloped every part of my being is the only way I can describe it. And it made me weak in the knees and it made me laugh. But I didn't laugh right away. Right away it was just like, oh, wow. What is, is you know, God is this... And, and it was just amazing. But then when I tried to stand up, my knees were weak. And when I tried to talk to somebody, I couldn't talk to them. I laughed. Now, that wasn't emotion. That wasn't that I had heard a funny joke. I don't know why I laughed. I just know as soon as I started to say, hey, we were just praying. And I just you know, couldn't do more than that. But um, Holy Spirit wants to touch us. He wants to come on us. He wants us to experience his presence It's like a hug from God the Father. It it is like being at the family reunion. And um, when I grew up, we had family reunions with like 50, 60 people would be there, all the different strains and cousins and families. And you could have someone that would sit at the far end of the pavilion and stay way down there. They're part of the family. They're part of it, and, and they're, 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 they're in on the whole deal. They're accepted and loved just as much as anybody else, but they haven't picked up on yet. They can get up, and they can come to the other end of the table and hug Grandma, and she's going to hug them back, and she's going to tell them how special they are and how much she loves them. When the Holy Spirit comes on us like that, it's, it's, like, it's like receiving a hug from God, and, and it is a dynamic thing that spurs us on to want more of God. 
It makes us want more. It makes us want to read his word. It makes us want to come to the Bible and open it up and say, oh, God, speak to me now through your word. And we start to get insights through the word that complement just this experience of God's presence. And it, there's just this, this thing that, that, that starts to happen in our lives where his character then is born in us. And we, we begin to think differently and we see things differently. We act differently and respond differently. But Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit in John 7. I want to start with that passage. John 7, verses 37 to 39 and uh, Father, we, we come right now and we do ask for, for your presence and uh, Holy Spirit, reveal to us more of the work of Jesus, glorify him, reveal to us more of the Father's love. Speak to us now through, through your word. Jesus said this, See, Jesus is in a large crowd and a lot of noise, not a lot of noise. So he stands up and he shouts this out in a loud voice, loud enough to, to catch everybody's attention. And he shouts out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. All right, let's just take a quick look at this. Thirsty means inner thirst. It means I recognize there's some incompleteness. I recognize there's more of a relationship I want to have with God, more of a relationship I want to experience with him. I'm thirsty spiritually. And then he goes on and he says, come to me and drink. And then he says, if you believe in me. And so believing in him is the equivalent of drinking. Believe in him is the only requirement. If you believe in me, he goes on to say, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. So there's going to come this flow of life that we're going to experience where, where we, we experience him come on us and in us and flow through us. And he goes on to say this, that this hadn't actually happened yet because Jesus hadn't yet been glorified. Now, let me tell you what being glorified, what that theologically refers to, is Jesus, in, in some respects, it refers to the whole event of the cross. Jesus going to the cross, dying for the sins of the world, being buried, raising from the dead, and ascending to the right hand of the Father. And in that, totally defeating and crushing death and sin, and winning the victory for God. So Jesus, back at the right hand of the Father, is Jesus glorified. And so what this is saying is, Jesus is standing there saying, anybody really wants to experience God, if you really want to experience God, come to me. And it's going to happen soon. It's coming very soon. And very soon, Jesus, after this, very soon after this, Jesus is glorified and he pours out the Holy Spirit on the church. And so he's inviting us to experience his presence. But the question I would have is, why? Why do, we need to, to, um, why do we need to experience the Holy Spirit's presence? And why does Jesus have to be glorified first? A another question. First thing I want to say is this. What Jesus is referring to here, the Holy Spirit's coming, is like the pinnacle of all history up to that moment in time. 
ever since the beginning, ever since creation, everything has been working towards that moment when Jesus would be at the right hand of the Father and he would pour the Holy Spirit out on his people. Now, to really understand the significance of this, uh, we really have to go back and recognize that, that the whole story starts with Adam and Eve. And the moment that Adam and Eve doubted God's goodness and decided to do things on their own. They doubted God's goodness and they decided to live life on their own. From that moment on, God's entire plan was working to the day that he could pour his spirit out on people. Because what happened with Adam and Eve was something more than simply just an act of disobedience. What they experienced at that moment was, first of all, guilt because they had done something wrong. And you know, guilt, guilt is what we experience when we do something wrong. Guilt is real. It, there's a real culpability that I'm really responsible for what I've done. But guilt's also something we experience emotionally and personally. But in addition to guilt, Adam and Eve experienced shame. And shame is a little different. Guilt is, I did something wrong. Shame says there is something wrong with me. Shame says I am defective. Shame says at the core, I am wrong. And so they experienced both guilt and shame. And what happened? What did they do? Well, we read this in Genesis 3. I think it's worth reading. It says this. It says, Then the eyes of both were opened... And they knew they were naked. Now, they were naked before, okay? They, I think they knew that. I, they just didn't know what it meant. It just stop there for just a moment. Do you know, knowing they were naked... Well, let, let me ask you this. Anybody have a dog? Your dog ever pee on the carpet? And you, you come into the room, you see that, and you, you know, rover. And does the dog look you straight in the eye and say, yeah, I did that? If it does, I'd suggest you get a new dog because you're in trouble. No, they won't look you in the eye. They're ashamed. They look down. They hide. And we do that as human beings too. Adam and Eve, they, they didn't have anything to hide before. That's why they didn't notice they were naked. Now they have guilt and shame and they're hiding. They want to hide. And I mean, when someone feels guilty and they're, they're, they're ashamed of what they did, they don't look you in the eye. They'll look away. They'll look down. It, like body posture will be protective. I mean, unless you're really cold, then this is just, you know, you're just trying to warm up. But, but you know, protective and hunching down and hunching the shoulders and keeping the head down. It's kind of like, don't look at me. Don't see me. You know, I, I feel bad enough already without having you look at me, without having you actually see my brokenness or see the flaws in me. And so they're experiencing that now. And so what do they do? Well, it says they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. I just popped into my mind. I wonder if they did that, the two of them together worked on it as a mutual project. I'm guessing they did it alone because they're trying to hide from each other. And, and so they sewed fig leaves and, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So notice this. 
they had intimate personal access to God. I mean, this is just this beautiful poetic scene of in the cool of the day. Okay, let's try real hard to picture a semi-warm day, you know, pretty warm day out there. And now the temperatures have dropped, the crickets are chirping, and, and you're going for a walk. It's just a beautiful setting, a beautiful scene. And that's what God came to walk with them in the cool of the day. They had such an intimate relationship with God. But what did they do? They hid. Why? Because of guilt and shame. And so they did their very best to cover up. They covered and they hid. But the problem is we can't cover our own guilt. And we can't cover our own shame. Shame has to be dealt with. It has to be dealt with. We're going to see this through Jesus. But it was God that actually was the one that stepped in here. Because they're trying to hide from him. And here's what happens next. It says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. See, they tried to cover, but they can't cover. Couldn't cover themselves. God covered them. God covered them. And what did that mean? He gave them skins from animals. He told them, when you step outside walking in obedience to me, death is going to come. They experienced death inside immediately. They immediately knew that they had blown it. They instantly knew the seriousness of what they had done because they experienced a change inside. They died spiritually. But here, God says, okay, instead of you dying physically, I'm going to take a couple other of the creatures that I have created and I'm going to take their lives and I'm going to provide their skins to cover you. They're your substitute. And so God, the very first sacrifice, God took one, I don't know, two animals, took their skins, covered and Adam and Eve with them. Now he covered their guilt, but he didn't change their hearts. The very fact that they needed to be covered means that they were still dealing with their shame of their inner flaw, their inner flaw, that they, that they were fallen but God sends them out of the garden. And from that moment on, the whole plan is get them back. Get them back. I want to walk in the cool of the evening with my people again. That's, what, that's God's heart. That's God's desire. And so everything then works that direction. So what does God do? God calls a man named Abraham. And he calls Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And, and says, now the Lord said to Abraham... Abram at that time later is called Abraham. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then later in Genesis 22, these chapters 12 through 22, they have this promise repeated to Abraham. Later it says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So God says to Abraham, I'm going to raise up. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And through your descendants, I'm going to bless the whole world. Now, in a comment like this, statement like this, blessing is total. It's absolute. It's complete. And so wrapped up in blessing was change. 
Wrapped up in blessing was the promise that God was going to give us new hearts. And so as the history of God's work unfolds, God establishes the nation of Israel. He sends Moses with the Ten Commandments and other laws in the Old Testament. And not because that was a way of salvation, not because that was a way for us to get right with God, but the law came in order to demonstrate to us as clearly as could be seen that our hearts would not cooperate with the law. Law is perfect. You know, we think of law today and we think of a burden. Just think of the expression of God's goodness to man. Just think of the way God created us to be. That's what the law was. And law is there and my heart rebels against it. And so the law was never given to be an answer and it couldn't be an answer because our hearts are defective as human beings. And so what, as, as uh, this rolls out, God gives promises during this season of time. He promises again. Messiah, the, the seed of Abraham hasn't come yet, but he promises again. He says in Ezekiel eleven nineteen and 20, and I will put a new spirit within them. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart so they will obey my decrees and regulations. Then they will truly be my people and I will be their God. And then in Ezekiel thirty six twenty seven, he says, I will put my spirit in them. See, God's predicting what's going to happen once the Messiah comes. And he's saying, I'm going to change their hearts. You know, not only do we have guilt, but we also have shame because of our broken, defective, fallen hearts. And God is saying, here, I'm going to change those hearts. And when I change those hearts, then we'll be able to enter back into an intimate relationship. Because God can't be intimate with sin. God's holy. And in the Old Testament period, in uh, this season of law, they had a temple and God lived in the temple. His presence among men was in the temple. Let's put it that way. And so what, what God's saying is the day's going to come when I'm coming out of that building and I'm going to come into you. I'm coming out of that building and I'm going to come into people. I'm going to live in them because that's what I want. That's what it was to walk with God in the cool of the evening. But he couldn't do that because our hearts are corrupt. Our hearts are fallen. And so we see then as we look Look on. Oh, here's a great verse. Ezekiel 39, 29. It's a promise of restored intimacy. It says this. I will not hide my face from them any longer. And this is like a future perfect, I think. For I will have poured out my spirit on them, declares the Lord. So he's saying here, once I pour out my spirit, then I will never hide my face from them again. And so think in these terms, once Jesus was glorified, remember John 7, and the Holy Spirit comes, we are changed inside, become new inside. Then he says, I will never turn my face away from them again. That means we live as believers in Christ. We live in the full intimacy available to us, full intimacy with God. We live fully, his full face is turned towards us. He's not going to hide. He's not going to turn away from us. And we're not going to have to turn away from him in shame because he changes us. And so he restores us to intimacy. Now, 
that verse, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, Genesis 22, uh, is fulfilled in the New Testament. And what I want you to do is realize we had creation, Adam and Eve failed to trust God, they sinned, and mankind became fallen. God calls Abraham and says, I'm going to raise up a great nation to you, but I'm going to bless the whole world through your seed. And then as time goes on, the nation of Israel is formed. But then Jesus actually comes and the promise is fulfilled and he dies on the cross and is raised from the dead and goes back to the right hand of God, the father, and he pours out the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now this verse is written after the Holy Spirit has come. And here's what it says. It's, it's explaining to us what has happened. Uh, so we're jumping ahead here. And in Galatians 3, he says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and his seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. Now, I want you to look at that with me, and I want you to recognize this. A promise from God is as good as it gets. Okay? No question about it. God fulfills his promises. We all agree to that? Yes, promises from God are fulfilled. The promise to Abraham was ultimately a promise that God was making to his son, Jesus, who was one of Abraham's descendants. And that's why this verse says, not to your seeds, but as to many, but rather to one and to your seed. And so the promise to bless the world through Abraham's descendants, that promise comes all the way down through the generations and it comes to Jesus. And Jesus is not only the fulfillment of the promise, he is the one that God made the promise to. And so Jesus is the one who receives this promise to bless the whole world. And now, as you read on in uh, Galatians, Galatians 3, 16, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. That Old Testament period where the law was, where we couldn't live by it, and all it did was make us recognize that our hearts are defective and fallen. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You see, God wants and has wanted since the beginning to change us inside so that he could release the Holy Spirit to come on us and to fill us so that we could be his temples. We could be his dwelling place on this earth because he wants intimacy with us. That's why he created us. And that's why you and I need the Holy Spirit. And that's why it wasn't until Jesus was glorified. It wasn't until Jesus came. And remember those animals that God killed and covered Adam and Eve's sin? Well, that sacrifice covered their sin, which enabled them to keep on living, but it didn't do away with their sin. And when Jesus died on the cross and he took death on himself and he took sin on himself, he actually did away with sin. He took it out of the way. He paid for it completely so that it's totally, completely gone and death has lost its power. 
And then Jesus rose from the dead because death couldn't hold him. There's no way the grave could hold him. And so he bursts out of the grave and he is exalted then to the right hand of the Father, glorified. And since he's there, now he can say, all right, now that I have fulfilled this promise of Abraham, anyone who comes to me, what I've done applies to them. What I've done, they get in on. And so Jesus did what? He defeated sin. He died and he rose again. And when you and I put faith in him, what he did applies to us. Sin is defeated in me. I receive this new life of resurrection. I'm resurrected with Christ so that that old, broken, corrupt nature is changed. And I have a new nature. And now, because of what Christ did, I am a holy person. I'm holy. I'm righteous. Through Christ's righteousness, I am righteous. And that means then that Jesus can look down from heaven and he can say, okay, there's a righteous one. I I, I can dwell in him. I can dwell in her. I'm going to pour out my spirit on them. I'm going to pour out my spirit on them. And so Jesus invites us. He invites us into this relationship that all it is 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 faith. I receive him by faith. And if you've never received Christ, then today is just a great day to do that. And you know, you don't have to receive him over and over and over again any more than I have to marry my wife over and over again. Okay? Married her once and then... In a lot of respects, every day I renew that by loving her. But I don't have to marry her again. You accept Jesus, he comes into your life and he changes you. Changes you so that you can walk free of shame. And the Holy Spirit comes and fills us and empowers us to change us to be like Jesus. And so that we can we can fulfill this this creative purpose God has for us to be intimate with him. So we're going to pray. And um, Jesus said, if you want to drink, drink. He says, if, if you're thirsty, then he says, here I am. I'm going to pour my spirit out on you. It's going to happen. We look back on that and we say it has happened and it is happening today. And so uh, let, let's all stand, okay? You know, there was one point at which Jesus uh, said to his apostles, it says he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And so uh, the worship team is going to start getting ready. But what I want to ask you to do, if you'd rather sit for this, this is fine, okay? But if, if you don't mind standing, just let's all close our eyes and just hold your hands out in front of you like, like this, like you're going to receive a, a gift from God. Like God's going to drop some present down out of heaven to you. And, and there is something important and valuable about our body position. It's a form of communication just as our words are and our eyes are and expression on our face. And so I'm going to pray right now and uh, welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit. And as I do, some of you are going to uh, just sense something from the outside coming on you. And some are going to feel heat and some are going to feel just this deep sense of peace come and some might even feel weak need and you might have to just sit down. Okay, but right now, Lord Jesus, based upon everything you've done and you are glorified and you promised us that you would pour out your spirit, we ask you to do that right now. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence here. 
We welcome your presence here. We welcome your presence here. More of your presence. We want more of you. You can sense there he is. He's coming. He's flowing through this place. That was just another kind of wave or breath of the Spirit. And there's another one coming right now. More. We long for more of you. We want to see your face, Father. All right, not much better than moving from this into worship. And that's what we're going to do. Um, come down front and worship. There, again, uh, the, the, the step, the action of not caring what others think and, and just doing, just stepping out. Just step down here and let's, let's worship together at the front if you're comfortable with that. And just come on down. And um, In fact, I would say if you never have but you've looked up here and you've thought, man, I'd like to, then... There, they said to blind Bartimaeus, they said, be encouraged, get up, he's calling for you. Bartimaeus had to get up, he had to do something. And sometimes there's just a physical step we have to take, an action we have to take that just kicks things open for us. So.